I don't know if you've ever seen a couch on the side of, you know, someone's throwing out their couch. Oh, and it just yeah. seems so embedded in their history. It's so strange to see that in the middle of this, you know, city. It's a, it's a very displaced object. So I wanted to kind of put my prints in that situation as well. Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. That was Kay Healy speaking. We're speaking today with Kay in her studio in South Philadelphia. Kay is an artist who uses printmaking, sewing, and social interchange with the public to make works that deal with domestic environments and they're imbued with a longing for home. She has shown her domestic environments at the Philadelphia airport and recently at the Wind Fleischer Challenge exhibition. You're known for your recent stuffed works, meaning they're cloth but they're stuffed. They're printed environments that look a little like scenery for a play maybe. There are chairs, tables, a refrigerator, a sink. They're painted, printed and stuffed to look almost life-size, and it's very cozy. What do you hope people feel when they see your pieces? First of all, I, I hope that they are um, engaged in it because I try to really surround my viewer and create an environment. I, I try to fill every square inch that I possibly can, and it's really about transforming the space and transforming the viewer. I then hope to have pieces that can be accessible to a broad range of people that, you know, it's, it's something that is inviting, that people want to enter and kind of think about and explore. Um, many people like to interact with the objects. So How do they do that? Well, for example, I mean, the most crass example is uh, when I do a bathroom and people have a lot of fun trying to pretend like they're sitting on the toilet or <laughs> in the kitchen. I've seen a lot of people trying to open up the refrigerator. Um, they, they almost interact with it like it's a life-size dollhouse or something. And they might explore some of the stories that are behind the objects. The pieces that I create, they, they each have um, some kind of narrative or story or a connection to either um, me or to another person that I've interviewed and um, I try to provide small you know little narratives for each of them. How do you find the people who you interview? I have a number of methods sometimes it's just people that I meet and they tell me um, what pieces the work reminds them of you know like oh you know I saw your living room and I had a, a cabinet just like that or I had a, a scarf or it, it instantly people can connect to it and think of something that they've lost from their past and then they wish that they still had and um, so that's one method I also have boxes that I leave in my installation so they kind of they look like suggestion boxes but they're they, they're shaped like houses and it says submit your own story and so that's another way that people can um, interact with the piece but more and more I'm trying to include lots of different types of people so it's really anybody who's interested in becoming involved so I wanted to kind of put my prints in that situation as well. Right. Let's talk about loss a little bit because a lot of the objects that you're working with in the stories are about people, like you said, I remember a refrigerator. Well, that refrigerator doesn't exist anymore. So what's the idea about lost objects? Is there something special about that versus, well, can I come into your home and let's look at what you're living with right now and let's make a piece about that? I think it stems from my own sense of loss of a childhood home, my own house. Um, it's a very normal situation, but 
My mom, she decided to sell it. She didn't need such a large house. She wanted an apartment in Manhattan. We were living on Staten Island. And uh, that was a huge moment for me because I felt like I didn't really have control over that situation. There was this uh, place that was very important to me that I could no longer return to. So all of that stuff was was gone. And um, I'm very nostalgic. I'm very attached to certain objects. If I need to clean up the house, I'm always going through things and saying, oh, look at this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm constantly um, sort of reminded of stories through objects and, and very connected to, to things, to certain things that have a deeper meaning than their material value. And I'm very interested in how objects and stories are in our brains, they're, they're in there, but maybe we're not thinking about them until we see something that's like that, or you're at a garage sale and it all sort of flashes back to you. So I, I like this idea of recreating people's memories for them so that you know there's some physical representation of what was in your past. So do you sort of get attached to the objects? Do they become your own false memories? Sometimes a few of them I have become attached to, but uh, I think printmaking allows me to detach from that because I can make multiples. For example, this bicycle, I made seven bicycles. And I also have the positive, so I could always print more. The idea um, is, it, feel, it feels a little more safe to me because there's always um, a way to replenish them. So where are the six other bicycles? They're folded up in my little cubbies over there, and so they're all labeled by which room they belong to. So there's a kitchen, and there's a living room, and there's a dining room, and they, they just fold and stack until I, I need them. So for example, I have two exhibitions up right now, um, and I'm able to have a bicycle in one of those and a bicycle in another one because of the printmaking. So where are your exhibitions? Tell us where they are. So my first exhibition is in Vermont. That's coming down pretty soon, but it's at West Branch Gallery in Stowe. And my other exhibition's at the DCCA, the Delaware Center for Contemporary Arts. And how long is that up? That will be up until March. But I am planning on another exhibition at the Free Library of Philadelphia. And the room is just amazing. It's a very accessible space. People are constantly going in and out of there. You don't need a ticket, so it's even more accessible than the airport. Um, and the, the walls are, I think it's 60 feet, and then they're 22 feet high. So my plan is, and what I was able to get a grant to, to do, and who's the grant from? Uh, the Independence Foundation, so it's their, their fellowship in the arts, is I'm going to create five row homes that kind of look like when you're looking at a cross-section of a dollhouse. And there'll be two stories. And this one is going to be inhabited by all of these objects and, um, that people are telling me about. So the stories of objects they have lost and they wish they still had. And I'm um, in the process of creating at least 90 different printed objects for next September. Wow. <laughs> and, and these, I assume, will be directly on the wall and not behind glass? Right. I, well, the airport, was that was behind glass, I think, in yes. my memory. Mm -hmm. They have a really wonderful case, and that's true. Part of my process is very laborious, and so the, the stuffed pieces are a little bit precious, but um, 
I think, again, printmaking is helping me in that way because, okay, if somebody vandalizes some of the pieces or steals something or spills their coffee on it, I have 20 more. And it's more important to me that the work be accessible than it be safe. So um. It's more homey when it's not under glass. When it's under glass, it becomes this precious thing. Yeah, kind of. absolutely. It's snuggly. It's a quilt, you know? <laughs> well, and often I see people, um, they want to touch it. And I don't blame them. I, I touch it, too. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm allowed to. But, um, <laughs> but I kind of let other people touch it, too, because there is this um, tactile quality to it. It is very cozy and soft and, and comforting. <laughs> and, and do people say things that are negative? Because it's very female. The work in every way is female. I don't know. I think a lot of, I think everybody really relates to it. We're all surrounded by objects. Some of the objects I create aren't maybe as female. My husband has this story of how his mom uh, gave away his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figurines to the neighbor's son. And he couldn't get them back because you, know, you can't ask for that back. It's too awkward. And he was just infuriated. And again, I think it's the sense of powerlessness. Like you didn't have control over that situation. So I recreated four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. <laughs> so, and those get a lot of attention. People really relate to those, particularly kids or, or you know, males. <laughs> and does he have them? They're over here. They're, they're in storage right now, but they'll be a part of the free library installation. Oh. So let's talk. You brought up the fact that you do wheat pasting paper, mm -hmm. and let's talk about that because you do it outside on the sides of abandoned buildings. Mm -hmm. So to a certain extent, it's similar to what you're doing on the inside with the stuffed works, but it's also completely the opposite. Right. So I, I began... Um, abandoning my art pieces when I first left New York City. Um, so I, I moved from my mother's apartment where I was sleeping in her library because you know, apart, apartments in Manhattan are so small. Um, so I moved from there and I just lived there for a year after college and just as I was starting to feel like I was a part of a community, it was a little bit less anonymous because New York was just very scary when I first moved there. But I was, I was in a band and I had, you know, developed some friends. And just as that was happening, I um, entered graduate school and I went to the University of the Arts. So I was moving down to Philadelphia. I didn't know a single person in the city. I decided to create these little tiny ceramic houses and I left them in all of the sites of significance, places that I was either going to miss or some places where maybe it wasn't such a great time, but it was just a very important place. And I, I left them there and I was just sort of letting go. I'm trying to. And, um, and then I think that was the first project where it was about giving something to other people and, and letting things just change without you know, ha giving up this sense of control that I think I, I really deep down would love to have. <laughs> so um, I moved here and then I started nesting. I did the, these projects where I would um, take furniture and roll it up and put it around in different places. So I had a little chair and I had a rug and I had a side table. And um, I would take photographs of this in very inhospitable places. So for example, in the middle of Broad Street where they have that great divider, mm -hmm. I would set myself up there. We're talking about real physical objects. Real physical furniture. And um, what happened was 
people were interested in what I was doing. I didn't expect this, and I'm not much of a performer. I'm pretty shy by nature. And uh, but people, you know, Philadelphia, everybody was like, "Oh, what are you doing? Oh, can I can I sit in your setup?" And so I started meeting strangers. People would come up and want to sit down and interact with the objects. And so I started taking their photographs. So I moved on to start printing furniture. I started out very small, and then I realized I wanted to go life size. I wanted to see what that would feel like to recreate objects and, um, and abandon them throughout the city. And Philadelphia is really interesting because there are so many gorgeous buildings that are just in complete decay, you know, just totally um, breaking down. And so I was very interested in, in putting objects, like maybe p the people who could have lived there. I don't know if you've ever seen a couch on the side of, you know, someone's throwing out their couch. Oh, and it yeah. just seems so embedded in their history. And it's so strange to see that in the middle of this, you know, city. It's, an, it's a very displaced object. So I wanted to kind of put my prints in that situation as well. Uh, I also liked how the environment really influenced the work too because you know there might be graffiti over here or maybe somebody decides to paint over it or try to rip it down it, it interacts with the public in a in another way too so it would change over time which i thought was really interesting so you talked about ceramics before when you left new york and mm -hmm. you made these little ceramic houses and so the domestic was already well in your work but the material was ceramics so did you start out in something other than printmaking like undergrad did you were you a printmaker or a ceramic artist undergrad um i actually really resisted becoming an artist for a long time my mother is an artist and she was my elementary art school teacher and um, it just looked like a really hard life. <laughs> so <laughs> when people would ask me, oh, are you going to be an artist like your mother? I would say, no, I would like to make money. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, was, was not as interested in that. I always loved drawing. I was very praised for my work as a child, and I was encouraged to create art. But I was interested in a lot of different things besides art as well. Um, my senior year of high school, I was able to take AP Art History, and I really loved that class. And um, I remember actually one day, my high school was right by the Staten Island Ferry, and one day my bus was about to stop at where my, I would get off for my school, and I decided to just stay on the bus. And it was just this complete impulse where I stayed on, I got on the ferry, I took the ferry across, I took the train up, and I went to the Met, and I spent the entire day there. And it felt really incredible, really um, independent. I just loved being surrounded by all of these beautiful things and these historic things. Um, and so that was the day when I said, okay, I'm gonna be an art history major. I applied early admission to Oberlin College. Um, one of the requirements of the art history major is that you have to take two studio art classes. And it was just a very incredible experience for me. It was a teacher who um, was very socially oriented. We had a number of very incredible people come in and talk, and one of the most amazing ones, the person that I, I sort of credit as um, why I became an artist was Pepan Osorio. Came out to Oberlin, I know it's very coincidental since he's in Philadelphia, 
and I really liked how he came at art from more of a social path. He um, was originally a social worker and eventually got into the arts. And I remember this one piece, I should know what it's called, but I don't remember. On one side, it was this installation of this boy's home. And on the other side, it was um, his father who was incarcerated. The son wasn't speaking to the father. And so what Paypon did was he interviewed the son, he videotaped him, and then he brought that to the dad. And then he videotaped the dad, you know, talking to the, his, his son, and he created this conversation between the two of them. And I thought the piece was just so powerful because it not only discussed, you know, incarceration and, you know, communication within families and splits and things that can happen, it also had this incredibly tangible, beneficial effect for the world. I was on the side of the, of the art fence where I was sort of like, well, what does art do? I mean, it just seems... Like, oh, is it just about making pretty objects or decorating things? And so this was the first piece that I, was, I saw that was just so incredibly influential and um, had such a beneficial um, effect for, for people. So I, I loved this idea. I didn't know how I would ever do anything like that. I'm not sure that my work, it, it's not exactly like that or anything, but it was the first time I thought, wow, art can change lives. Um, I decided, okay, I'm doing art. <laughs> and luckily, I mean, I had had a lot of art class, Saturday art schools. My mom taught everywhere in New York City, so I was always dragged to her art camps. I've been, you know, carrying crepas since I was seven. So, you know, luckily I had a little bit of a background, but that's why I spent a year with my mom living with her after college, and I took classes at Hunter. So it was very affordable to go there and I was able to take all art courses and um, eventually get into graduate school. I know that's a really long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but it was really interesting, was interesting to see how you got here. Yeah. And I want to know if you've talked to Pepone since you arrived in Philadelphia. Well, um, my husband was asked to do a screen printing project for him which I was so jealous. <laughs> I was like, really, you were asked, why not me? I can screen print. Um, and so he was you know, talking back and forth with Paypon and I was just you know, in agony, like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but we ended up seeing him at the Philographica opening at PAFA. You know, Greg's like, oh, I'll introduce you. I said, no, 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 I can't meet him, no. <laughs> He's like a, a hero to me. And so he said, um, Paypon, this is, this is Kay. She became an artist because of you. <laughs> and I turned beet red and wanted to get out of there. So that is my one interaction. He seemed very nice and touched, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't much of a conversation. <laughs> so that was my one interaction with him. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Kay, for speaking with us. It was great. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.